We are in 2nd and 3rd John, if you have your Bible, if you want to turn with me to 2nd John and 3rd John. Let's pray together. Father, we we do thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you're stronger than our sin and stronger than our circumstances, that you give us daily bread, exactly what we need uh, to get through the day. God, I thank you for each of us being gathered here tonight, and we ask that you would feed our souls, that you would get our attention upon you, that we could find ourselves being encouraged in you and encouraged others. So Jesus, would you pour out your blessing upon your word. In Jesus' name, amen. These are considered postcard epistles because they're extremely short. And I want you to just think about for a moment John the disciple, the apostle, taking time to write these two short letters of encouragement. Recorded for us all for eternity for us to benefit from the encouragement that has been given. And how many times uh, in your life have you been encouraged by a short conversation, a short note, or a text, a message that somebody has uh, sent to you? So I was reflecting on that uh, a little bit, and my uh, oldest daughter, Hannah, she's a note writer, and she tends to, to write me notes. Um, if I'm going on a trip, uh, you know, she'll slip a note into to my bag. You know, sometimes up on my pulpit, she'll put a note here. So when I get up here, there'll be a, a note from, from, from my daughter, and she'll encourage me. And those, those notes are, are gold. You know, if it's like, a, here's a thousand bucks or one of those notes. I'll take one of those notes, right? You know, and those, those have really encouraged me uh, over, over the years. I have a pastor friend of mine. His name's Pastor Ed. He pastors Calvary Chapel, Aurora. And uh, he's so good about sending texts, sending personal uh, texts. And just, just at the right time, and I know those are Holy Spirit moments, he'll s- send me a short text and say, hey, I'm thinking, for it, thinking about you today, praying for you, hope you're doing good. Sometimes they're, they're uh, more specific. And, and that's so encouraging, you know, and it has been uh, life, life-changing and, and life-giving. You know, as a pastor over the years, a lot of you are really gracious to send me a note, to, to send me a card, send me an email of, of encouragement. And there's been countless times that those emails, those notes have been exactly what I've, I've needed to hear. Sometimes I've been weighing decisions and it's not that you guys as a church family knows that I've been thinking about uh, this decision and pastoral leadership or praying about something and someone will, will give me a note and really uh, have, a, have a word from the Lord that, that confirms uh, a decision that was, was being made. So what is it in, in your life? You know, who, who is it that tends to write you a note and give you a, a word of encouragement? Who, who sends you a text you know, saying, hey, I'm thinking about you or praying for you or, or gives you that surprising uh, email? And then could you be that for somebody else? Could you give that encouragement to, to somebody else? Maybe God would, would have you send a text to someone tonight. Maybe he'd have you write down a, a short note and, and, and give it to them. You know, Crazy. You could just go way out of the box and write a letter and get a stamp. <laughs> find their address and mail it to them. 
You know how hard it is to buy a stamp these days? Like, the other day I needed a stamp for some reason, and I go into the gas station, and I was like, can I buy some stamps? And they looked at me like I was stupid, you know, like <laughs> I was from another planet. And, and uh, sometimes my body language can get a little bit strong, and I'm like, I just need a stamp, you know? Like, I wanted to be like, S-T-A-M-P, you know? And like, sorry, we don't sell those anymore, you know? So you could go out of your way and, and, and mail a letter uh, to, to someone. But John took the time to have the encouragement. And these individuals in this church was uh, encouraged. And many others will be encouraged. You know, a short conversation goes a long way. Long way. Five-minute conversation. Just, just a short deposit. And the Lord can really use that in a person's life. So verse 1 of Second John to the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. So he's writing the elder of the church and then the church as well. We don't have the elder's name, and the church is referred to as the elect lady. Why the elect lady? Because we're the bride of Christ. Collectively, all together, we're the bride of Christ. So the elder is being written to, the church is being written to, and her children. Her children are, are those that have gotten saved through this church. Possibly church plants that have resulted through this church. And John says, I love you. And I love you in the truth. And all of those who are in the truth love you. This is the only way to truly love someone is in the truth. Whether it's our spouse, our children, brothers and sisters in Christ, to love them in the truth of, of God's word. If we're not loving them in truth, we're probably not loving them at all, right? So this beautiful balance of love and truth. And he's saying, in the truth of who God is and his scriptures, I love you and I care for you. Because of the truth which abides in us, and will be with us forever. John emphasizes truth in his writings. In his gospel, 20 times he references truth. And 1 John, nine times. And then in these little postcard epistles, he mentions truth five times. And here he says, because of the truth which abides in us and will abide forever. When you spend time in God's word and God's word gets in your life, you're investing in something that's eternal. Tonight, you're investing in eternity. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word is going to abide forever. And so there's this encouragement with truth that it is in us and it's going to abide forever. Grace, mercy, peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. The trio of blessing. You can count on these three things being with you. Grace, mercy, and peace. Grace is God giving us things that we don't deserve, salvation, his favor, forgiveness, provision. It's a blessing, a gift that we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding the judgment that we do deserve. So every day God's giving us mercy. Thankfully, he did not give us the judgment we deserve today. Amen? And on top of that, he's giving us grace. He's giving us his favor, allowing us to have relationship with him, and then what results from grace and mercy is peace. I have the peace of God. I have peace knowing that my situation is in his hand. I also have peace with God. I know that I'm the child of God. No longer have an adversarial relationship with God. Grace, mercy, 
and peace. In Psalms 23, David talked about the mercy of God. He said, the mercy of God shall follow you all the days of your life. There there was this confidence of no matter what happens in my life, I do know that God's mercy is going to follow me, that God is going to be merciful to me. You may have a hard time counting three things that are certain in your life on this Wednesday night in February, but you can trust in the grace of God. You can trust in the mercy of God and the peace of God, and it's from the Father, and it's from the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's in truth and love. There we see it again, this beautiful balance of truth and love. God is giving this to us in truth and in his love. Truth and love meet at the cross, don't they? You could say that they embrace at the cross. We see the justice of God pouring out sin upon Christ, Christ paying the price for our sin, that's truth. But we also see love. The love that the Father has for the Son, the Son has for the Father, the love that God has for a lost and dying world. If we just have truth, we're dangerous, aren't we? You know, if we just have love without truth, we're dangerous as well. And so we want to have these attributes in our lives of of truth and love. In verse four, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we have received the commandment from the Father. John has heard of some who are walking in truth from this elect lady, from the church that's being referred to here. But not all are walking in truth. Only some are are walking in truth. And that's the case, isn't it, in our lives is sometimes we're walking in truth, sometimes we're not walking in truth. What's the, what's the power of walking in truth? Know the truth and the truth will, will set you free. Where do we find ourselves this evening? Could it be said of us, we're walking in truth? We're walking in the truth of God's word. We're applying it to our lives. In verse six, this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that is, you've heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. John, in his writings, loves to take us back to the commandments of God. In fact, if you remember in 1 John, he sums up the commandment of God as believing in Christ and loving one another. So trust in Christ, believe in Christ, and love one another. That simple and that profound. And he says, this is love if you walk in the commandments. This is walking in truth, is to walk in the commandments. Jesus made the commandments simple as well, didn't he? Love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as as yourself. So when we're walking in that, we're walking in the commandments of God. That this is love. If we were trying to define what it means to love God, it's going to result in obedience. I think there's some comfort in this, and we've talked about this before. But a lot of times we feel like we're loving God if our emotions are really charged towards God. Uh, This is when I feel closest to God and I'm, I'm experiencing God. But we can love God no matter what our emotions are doing. Because loving God is obeying his commandments. And there's even sometimes if we're honest that our emotions are all charged up. But there's not a lot of obedience. And so John knows this. The Holy Spirit knows this and continues to emphasize be obedient. Be obedient. Walk in the truth. Love God. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into this world who do not confess Jesus as Christ coming in the flesh. 
This is a deceiver and an antichrist, another theme for John's writings. We know John was dealing with the Gnostics who were teaching that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that he was just this mystical ghost-like figure. And John says many deceivers have gone out into the world. There's many out there that are going to try to deceive you spiritually, and they don't confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. They're a deceiver and they're an antichrist. They they have the spirit of antichrist against Christ and replacing Christ. Jesus is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's incarnate in human flesh, crucified and risen. You know, sometimes when we read John's writings, it just seems like he's got one drum and he just keeps beating it, right? It's repetition. He's, He's telling us the same things over and over. But there has to be value in them, right? There there has to be an inherent danger of spiritual deception. So how do you test a teaching? What do they teach about Jesus Christ? What do they believe about Jesus Christ? And you're going to get to the bottom of it real quick. You're going to start to discover what what they're teaching. Verse 8, look to yourselves that we do not lose the things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. How could we lose what we've worked for through spiritual deception? If we follow error instead of following truth, then we're going to lose what what we've worked for. And so that's the encouragement. Look to yourself. This is something that's put on each of us, our own responsibility. Make sure you're not getting deceived spiritually so that you receive the full reward. Verse 9, whoever transgresses and doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ doesn't have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and Son. So important to continue and abide in the doctrine of Christ. If you don't have the doctrine of Christ, you don't have the Father and the Son. But if you do have the doctrine of Christ, then you do have the Father and Son. What is the doctrine of Christ? It's the gospel. It's that Christ came in human flesh, that he died for our sins and he rose again. And as we believe and trust in the gospel, then we have the Father and the Son. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you And doesn't bring this doctrine, don't receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. It's important to understand the cultural context here. If you had somebody into your home at this time, you were expressing oneness with them. If you sat down and and had a meal, this was very personal. You're dipping out of the, the same bowls, you would be leaning up against each other resting against each other. This is part of the reason Jews and Gentiles and their hatred for one another didn't eat together because they were expressing oneness, right? And so here John is saying, if you know someone is against Christ and they're against the doctrine of Christ and they're a false prophet, don't greet them, don't welcome them into your home because in doing so, you're gonna share in their, their evil deeds. You're linking yourself in oneness with someone who is trying to rip you off uh, spiritually. In verse 12, having many things to write to you, I did not wish to, uh, I did not wish to do so with pen and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak to you face to face that your joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you, Amen. So those that have been impacted by this church greet you as well. John says, I've got so much more to say to you, but I want to come and see you face to face that your joy could be made full. I told you it was a postcard epistle. 
I think that's the fastest I've ever gone through a book of the Bible. <laughs> you could write it down in your journal and say, that was a, a 10 minute trip. So, if I do this next one in 10 minutes, you guys are gonna get some extra time this evening. You're, you're gonna be given the gift of time. Third John, verse one. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So we have the, the elder identified as Gaius, and he's loved, loved by the Lord, loved by, by John. This is a personal letter of greeting from John to, to Gaius and, and how it would have encouraged Gaius. You know, don't just write people that aren't doing well. Of course, write people that aren't doing well. You know, give them encouragement. Maybe the Lord would have you give out exhortation, but also write somebody who's doing well, you know? Maybe there's a Gaius who's really doing well, and just, just write to him and encourage him. From every indication, it seems Gaius is doing well, serving the Lord, and John's writing him, and he's, he's encouraging him. Verse two, beloved, I pray that you, you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, please listen on this. This is not a promise, but John's heart's desire. This is his friend, and he says, friend, your, your soul is, is prospering. You are lover, loving the Lord. You're fresh and flourishing, and I want your health to prosper just like your soul does. But John's not saying, you know, I can promise to you that you are going to have health. I've heard this verse so many times used in the context of somebody naming and claiming health for someone. You know, I, I'm believing it, so it's, it's going to be so. I think a biblical approach to healing is we are to ask God to heal. Amen? God has the power to heal, and he, he chooses to heal all over the place for, for his glory. But also, he chooses not to heal. And you're saying, well, wait a second. Where do we see that in Scripture? Well, Paul wasn't healed. He had a thorn in the flesh, and he asked God to remove it three times. God said, no, each time. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I think Paul had faith, don't you? I think Paul trusted the Lord. So it wasn't a lack of faith on Paul's end that he wasn't healed. I don't think Paul was in unconfessed rebellion towards God. I think he was walking with the Lord. I think God chose to allow him to have, have a thorn in the flesh. And so when John's writing to Gaius, he's not promising health, but he's, he's praying for health. It's his desire that, that Gaius would have good health, just, just like his soul uh, is prospering. Maybe Gaius is going through a physical challenge. Maybe there are health problems that are taking place in, in Gaius's life that cause uh, John to write this. Or maybe Gaius is extremely healthy, but his soul's even more healthy. <laughs> and he's just saying, look, brother, I, you got such a great soul, and I just hope your health does just as well as your soul. In verse three, for I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. So he says, I, I rejoice greatly of this testimony of truth in your life that you're walking in truth. Word had gotten back to John that Gaius was walking in truth. In verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. This is the heart's desire of every believing parent, isn't it? To see your kids know Jesus, to love Jesus, 
to honor Christ, to walk in truth, that, that is the, the, the greatest joy, you know. A friend of mine, he, he's an older father, and oftentimes I'll ask him how he's doing, and he'll say, you know, I'm doing so good. All of my adult kids are walking with the Lord. I could die and go, to, go home to be with the Lord. You know, like I, I've, I've seen everything that, that I desired in my, in my, in my lifetime. And John here, Gaius is not his biological child. But he is a son in the faith, and John is saying, it brings me so much joy to see you, to see you walk in truth. So that's what we invest in, that's what we pray for, for our children, but also others. As we make disciples, as we have the the privilege of being in people's lives and investing in, in their lives, isn't it great to hear the testimony of, oh, they're walking in truth. They're close to the Lord. They're drawing near to the Lord. They're honoring the Lord. I've had a real privilege of uh, being here at RMC for quite a while now. Uh, I started out as the junior high youth pastor. Uh, A lot of you probably know that. And I was young, you know, 22 uh, years old. And some of the kids that were in our junior high uh, group are now 30 or so, you know. And I stay in touch with some of them, and some of them are walking in truth, and married, and have kids, and some of them are still plugged in at, at, at our church, and that brings me so much joy, you know, just to see them plugging into the Lord, loving the Lord, flourishing in, in the Lord. Oh, man, it just causes you to be filled with so much joy in Christ, and Honestly, the biggest heartbreak as a pastor is to see people that once walked in truth that are no longer walking in truth. And there's always room for restoration and redemption. God can restore and redeem and bring us back to walk in truth. But to see people that you love, that you care for, that you do life with, and for a variety of different reasons say, you know, it's not for me. I'm not going to walk in truth. So if it brings us joy to see others walk in truth, Imagine how much joy it brings God to see us walk in truth. You know, are you walking again? Are you walking in truth? Are you in God's word and applying it to your life and through the power of the spirit wanting to be a doer, doer of God's word? So many things in life are not working. So many ideologies and philosophies are not working. But the truth of God's word, it works. It's good. This is where we find life. Not an easy life, but a worthwhile life. Walk in truth. There's no greater joy than seeing people walk in truth. Verse five, beloved, you have been faithful, whatever you do, for brethren and for strangers. What a compliment. Gaius, beloved, you are faithful no matter what you do. It doesn't matter if it's to a stranger, and it doesn't matter if it's to the brethren, to the body of Christ. You do it uh, to the Lord. I'm currently reading a a book, and the book is on kindness. The whole book is on kindness. Talk about a convicting book to read. I I don't know why I'm doing that, you know, just wanting to put myself through some misery. But I really got a chuckle out of this paragraph in the book because the author declared that they got frustrated with one of their bills. Their bills had gotten hiked. You know, I think we've all been there. And so they call in and say, this is what's going on with my bill, and put on hold five or six times, explain it, again, bumped up to this, this manager, 
And this manager works out, out the bill. And by this time, the author of the book's pretty frustrated, you know. It's kind of letting this person have it. And, you know, and then apologizes. The author apologizes. Says, you know, I've just been through all this and I'm really frustrated. And the person's very professional on the, the phone and finishes up the conversation. And says, have I taken care of your concerns today? Well, I guess. And, and thanks so much for calling. And the last thing that person said is, I, by the way, I really enjoyed your book. <laughs> oh, man. It's just like, that is brutal, right? You know? I think I, I've laughed. I laughed so hard because that's happened to me as a pastor before, right? It's like, in those moments, are you the pastor at Rocky Mountain Calvary? No, I'm not. I'm not. You know, like, that's my twin brother, Frank. He pastors over there, right? And, and so there's this reality in, in this verse of say, you know what, we, we want to be faithful. No matter if it's with brothers and sisters in Christ or, or strangers. We want to live the, the truth of God's word and live in a, in a kind way. In verse 6, we have borne witnesses of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of the Lord. So... He's bore witness of, of the love for the church. He, he's cared for many on their journey and then sent them forward in a manner that's, that's worthy of God. Gaius is not one who's famous. You probably haven't heard of Gaius prior to tonight's study. There's not going to be books written on, on Gaius. But yet, God commends him in, in, in the word. One of the things he's commended for is for caring for what seems to be missionaries, believers that are doing God's work and they come and spend time with them and then they're sent forward in a, in a worthy manner. And we see this in verse seven and eight as well. It says, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing for the Gentiles. These that Gaius blessed were ministering to Gentiles and they didn't receive any financial gifts back from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that they may become fellow workers of the truth. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 40 through 42. He says, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And many of you have cared for missionaries. Many of you have, have loved those that are out doing work in faraway places and they come back and they need a place to stay. They need a friend. You know, you're faithful to, to pray for them and sometimes send financial gift. And God sees that. That's why God is identifying this in, in Gaius. It's quite a promise that Jesus gives. You receive a prophet, you receive a prophet's a reward, And I know that's so refreshing to those that are out doing that missionary type of work. In verse 9, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have preeminence among them, does not receive us. In this postcard epistle, there is a warning. It's about a man, Diotrephes. John wants to make sure that Gaius understands that this is someone you need to look out for. This is someone you need to be on guard against. And it's because he loves to have preeminence among them. And he doesn't receive John and, and the other apostles. We need to fight this. This is our sinful flesh where 
We want to have preeminence. We want to put ourselves forward. We want to have, have power. And there's no place for that inside of the body of Christ. Christ alone has, has preeminence. This man, Diotrephes, must have caused so much trouble that Paul felt that it was worthwhile to include it uh, in Scripture. Quite a contrast from Gaius. In verse 10, Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, bratting against us with malicious words. So Diotrephes was making it his job to, to speak against John and the other apostles to bring division and to try to tear down the work of God. And John says, I'm going to call to mind his deeds and not contend with that. He himself doesn't receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of, of the church. So he, Diotrephes wouldn't receive believers, but also he put down others who wanted to receive other believers. And then Diotrephes would try to put people out of the church for unjust reasons. You know, not for church discipline because of sin, but because they were trying to love other believers. This brings John into a deeper truth. He says, beloved, do not imitate what's evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. In the text, we have the contrast between Gaius and Diotrephes. Gaius is a servant, Diotrephes is self-promoting. And we're left with the challenge of who do you imitate? Don't imitate evil, but imitate good. And we do learn from people's example, don't we? It's been said a lot, things, a lot of things are more caught than taught. What does that mean? You observe it. You observe it in their lives. It's not necessarily official teaching time. You, you watch their lives, and then you begin to imitate what, what is good. You're going to imitate something and someone, so choose what is good to imitate what, what is good. Verse 12, Demetrius has a good testimony from among all and the truth itself. Also, we bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. So Demetrius is, is given an encouragement with a good testimony. The truth is, is in him. In verse 13, I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink or text or Facebook. <laughs> but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face, some real FaceTime. Peace to you, our friends. Greet you. Greet the friends by name. Saying, God's peace be with you. Our friends greet you. And then greet the friends by name. Encourage them by name. So these two short epistles give encouragement. Give encouragement. You never know how far an encouragement is going to go in a person's life. Many times people will, will save a note. They'll save a card. They'll go back and, and reflect upon it later. The way that our texts work, we tend to save our texts for years until we run out of storage. Like, oh, bummer, I'm going to have to erase this whole string, string of texts. You know? That text that you're sending to, to someone, you know, it may be something that they reflect upon. How many discouraging words do we hear throughout the day? How oftentimes do we get the message that we don't measure up? So maybe it's writing a note, sending a text, but then speaking encouragement to someone. 
Who's the gayest in your life? You know, who, who's someone that the Lord's saying, I want you to encourage. Tonight, take the, the time to in- encourage. I imagine that John was busy. We don't know what was going on in his life, but he's the apostle John. And yet he saw the value of taking the time to encourage. I don't know necessarily that we'll grow in being an encourager unless we intentionally take time and effort to do it, right? Because some people are naturally an encourager. Some people naturally are not an encourager. Either way, I think it's an intentional effort to say, I am going to encourage. I'm going to write a note of encouragement. I'm going to write a text of encouragement. I'm going to give a a word of encouragement. I was thinking about this yesterday and today, is Christ's interactions with people a lot of times were short. They seem like fairly short conversations. And maybe there was more to those conversations, but they, they seem fairly short. And Jesus was the master of being able to take a short encounter and deposit truth, and deposit love, and deposit encouragement. So as we're going throughout our day to be listening to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit might say, hey, you know what? Just just take a little bit of extra time with this person. Encourage them. Maybe give them a, an exhortation that, that the Lord puts upon your heart. Ask how their, their day's going. Sometimes it'll be Inside of your own home, the Holy Spirit will encourage you. You know, this particular child needs a little bit extra of your time. Just just go back in their room and sit on their bed and ask them a little bit more how they're doing and, and give them a big hug. And, and the Holy Spirit will do big things. You know, if, if God puts on your heart, you know, send your spouse a text and do it. You know, if the Lord puts on your heart, go home and Give them some encouragement. By, by all means, do it, right? We have to believe that John was being led, led by the Holy Spirit. And God really used it in, in his life. And I think whenever there's a teaching like this, our flesh wants to go, well, nobody encourages me. Have you had that thought during this teaching? You know, well, well my spouse doesn't send me notes, you know. I don't have a Pastor Ed in my life. You're so lucky, right? No one even knows that I exist on the planet, right? We all would love to have more encouragement. We would all love to be noticed more and have words of life spoken into us. But John here isn't saying, you know what, I need to be encouraged, though we do. He's saying, I want to encourage somebody else. And that's a willful choice to say, I'm going to choose to encourage others. And as we do that, I think we find joy. I I think we see God using our lives. We go, wow, this this was worth it. I made a deposit in someone's life. God God allowed me to to be an encouragement. So don't get sucked in that trap of saying, well, I I don't get encouraged. And just choose to be an encourager. Choose to, to pass on those those words of life uh, to others. And who knows? You know, who knows where that note will end up? Who knows where that encouragement will end up? I don't think John was anticipating for these short postcard epistles uh, to be recorded for all of eternity and read so many years later. 
Guys, if you'd like to read ahead, we're going to be in Jude uh, after the night of worship, the first uh, Wednesday in March. It's a, another good, short epistle, uh, the book of, of Jude. So let's stand and pray and prepare hearts for communion. Father, we want to be used by you. We want to have those moments uh, to speak words of life to to others. The Proverbs tell us that a word fitly spoken is like a golden apple. And God, would you give us those words to, to speak to others? Even tonight as we fellowship, may we have opportunities to encourage May you put on our hearts uh, two or three people that we can text uh, tonight or send an email to or, or write a note that would provide encouragement. Lord, we thank you that you do encourage us in communion. You provide nourishment for our souls. So as we take communion tonight, would you minister to our hearts? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.